Welcome to Stat Chat, dishing it with D. Klatz. This is Dave Klatsky. Welcome back to another edition of Stat Chat. Um, today I bring Waleed Farid on, and to me this is a guest that I really wanted to have on, just because of the resources that are available to D3 coaches. So I think in talking about advanced stats, we often think of NBA teams with an army of workers and sports VU and people that really want to help. But having coached at Division Three and now knowing Waleed, how he works at Hartwick, I wanted to talk to somebody that didn't have the resources that you may need to track what you want to track, but how do you still emphasize what's important to your team? And to me, Waleed was the perfect guest to do that because he does read everything there is to read about stats and he cares so much that I know he does it, but I wanted to see how. And hopefully this can help some of you coaches out there, players that can't track everything, but want to still use advanced stats in your planning or your practices or your game preparation and uh, Waleed kind of gives some clues on how he does that and what he's able to emphasize to his team uh, throughout the season. So once again, hope you enjoy it, and here we go. Welcome back to Stat Chat. Today's guest is none other than Waleed Farid. Waleed is currently the head coach at Harwick University up in Oneonta, New York, Uh where he just completed his first season. He spent his last seven seasons as an assistant at Stevens Tech in Hoboken, New Jersey, uh, where they had quite a bit of success, including an ECAC championship in 2011 and an at-large bid in 2013. Uh, Waleed was quite the player. He led his team at Stevens to a Sweet 16 in 2007 and finished his career with an ECA championship in 2008. Uh, he finished as a career leader over a three-year period in points, rebounds, and steals, and was in the top ten of a number of other categories. Um, besides all that, Waleed is a very close friend, and for anybody that knows Waleed, and one of the reasons we get along so well is he has such a passion for basketball that you could pretty much talk hoops with him at any point, any time, and you will be able to to, to tell that immediately uh, with how excited he gets in, in talking basketball. So uh, I'm very happy to have him on the show. Waleed, welcome, and let's just jump right into it. Can you talk a little bit about now as a head coach how you uh, are using advanced statistics with your team there at Hartwick? Uh, let me first say thanks, D-Class, for having me on the uh on the podcast and thanks for the uh amazing uh introduction there. Made me sound <laughs> a lot better than I actually was. Uh as far as advanced stats, I mean a lot of what we do at our program is is rooted in advanced stats. I mean it's a big part of what we do. Um now that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, we have all these numbers and stats and spreadsheets that we're throwing at our guys and, and talking a lot of data, but uh, it's more more about like the ideas, the ideology of what analytics is, and and we use a lot of that stuff to shape how we want to play our offense, our defense, and and we look at some of those things to to try to maximize you know our probability of 
of winning, right? Winning games, putting ourselves in the best position to win games. Um, you know, and, you know, just it comes down to what your definition of everybody's got a different definition of what advanced stats is, right? And ours at our level right now, it's pretty basic. It's just you know looking past that standard box score, right? Like you know your points, rebounds, assists. Like we look past some of those things to look you know deeper and analyze deeper and try to figure out you know where our strengths are, our weaknesses are, how we can exploit our advantages and how we can hide some of our disadvantages, right? So you know. Pretty now, much it's, now for, it's everything we do. For you guys, and obviously Walid is one of the few, actually the only person that I have coached and then coached with, uh, so I, I do understand a little bit about the differences between the D3 and the D1 or or, uh, or even higher levels like the NBA. Um, the resources available at the D3 level are not the same. Like, how do you manage that? Uh, you know, you talk about all those things, but what can you actually get done with yourself? I'm assuming you have one assistant and maybe a manager. Can you talk a little bit about about that? Yeah, well, you know, as you know, at, at our level, the resources aren't all there. Um, and not just the resources, but the time commitment isn't there as well. You know, our guys – you know, our, our student athletes and, and they have crazy, you know, workloads as far as class schedules and things like that. So the amount of time we spend on basketball maybe isn't as long as, you know, someone at a Division One program. So we have to pick and choose, you know, what information we want to talk about and how we want to get points across. You know, I don't have, you know, like you said, a staff that's deep in, in assistant coaches and managers where, you know, I can delegate one guy to really be, on top of analytics or, or anything like that. So, you know, we, we really are at a very basic, uh, low level right now with our analytics, but we're more talk about, you know, strategy and, and philosophy and things like that. And a lot of that stuff is based on what advanced stats is for us, at least. Right, right. And, and, and that kind of brings, brings it back to the point, like, how are you, you know, without the numbers, and I know you because we've talked at length about this stuff, but how are you able to uh, communicate that? Because, you know, without being like, okay, here's here's the, the data, you know, like in the NBA especially, here's the data. It backs up what we're saying. But at, at your level, you're kind of – they kind of have to trust you. And how, how do you communicate the points that you want to get communicated to them effectively? Right. Well, the trust is the biggest part. You know, like you said, like I'm not, I'm not walking into practice with a, a sheet of my hand and I'm not quoting, you know, the mid-range jump shot is point whatever point for possession, the least efficient. You know, like I'm not going that way. That's not how we do all, do it here. It's just they have to kind of trust, and we kind of we set up everything we do around that kind of stuff. So you know, when we talk about our offense, for example, you know, we talk about shot selection and things like that. I don't actually have to state numbers to the guys i just talk about these are the shots we want to get we want to get layups we want to get free throws and we want to get threes you know like those are the shots we're looking to get you know so now our guys at least they hear that the first time maybe in the beginning of the season and they, they understand you know like all right well, these are the shots we're trying to get as the year goes on maybe we shoot some shots we don't want to get we'll put it up on film um and we'll talk about like why this is an inefficient shot you know or you know or why this was a great shot you know maybe someone may think a shot was not a great shot and I'll have to point it out on film like, you know what, this is the shot we're trying to get. Didn't go in, but we wanted this catch and shoot three here in the corner because 
you know, the numbers back us up. I don't have to actually say the numbers, but I can just say the numbers back us up. And right, right. When you win a few games that way, when you win a few games that way, then they start to kind of believe in it. You know, if we were to lose every game and I'm telling these guys the numbers back it up, it's a different story. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, that's, I, that's I, I do. I, and I think what you're saying is important. You're, you're talking more about process than result. Um, right. Which is, which is as a coach, every, everything's process. You know, you, you work hard, you do all these things, you, you play right to get the win. But you don't always get the win. You you try and put yourself in the best position to get the win, and it, you know that that sounds like what you're trying to get done. Um, now, when you talk about shot selection, can you you know can you elaborate a little bit on on you know what you guys run or uh, more maybe more on what you guys try and emphasize to get the best shots that you can. You know, you talked a little bit about layups threes and free throws uh we'd all like to get that you know uh right how do you go about getting those more than the other team uh well you know there's a variety of ways of getting across obviously we our offense is you know based on the basic principles of spacing and ball movement and player movement and you know we we get guys to you know believe in that and, and you know we run our sets and we run our actions the quick hitters and transition all that stuff based on trying to get the shots we want to get. So, you know, if we run a set down, you know, coming down the floor after a made basket or whatever, that set is geared towards maybe initially getting two guys to guard one somehow, create a closeout, maybe for a catch and shoot. You know, if there is no closeout, you get a catch and shoot. If not, you're driving. Now we're trying to get that layup, that free throw, and, you know, and then we're, we play from there. You know, like we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, our offense, we try to keep as simple as possible. My philosophy has always been for, Guys to do as little thinking as possible on offense. You know, not complicated whatsoever. Keep it simple, quick action, get two guys to guard one, and then just play out of it. And, and then it's just talking about, it. you know, in practice, you're going through those reps, you're practicing, you know, if a guy gets a, you know, you know, makes a play and shoots a pull-up jumper that's contested, you know, we're stopping and we're talking about, like, you know, that shot maybe is great with four or five seconds on the shot clock, but 16, 17 seconds on the shot clock, like, I'd rather you stop in the paint, pivot, and let's look out to get maybe another three, you know, because because we're driving, someone's stopping, that means someone probably is open on another end, you know, like, and we just kind of talk about that and talk about it until eventually it starts to sink in, you know, like, you know, guys start to celebrate those kind of plays as the season goes on, and they're like, you know, you know, they're hell just talking to each other and talking about, oh, you know, great play, way to stop in the lane and kick out. I filled back on a crack back or whatever, and we got a great look. And, you know, obviously we reinforced that with film um, and shot charts, you know, things like that, that we can do um, at our level, you know, as opposed to, you know, some other places that have more resources. You know, we we, we track sure. every shot during games, you know, and I, we review it on film. Now, and, now how, know, who does, like, so, so obviously, you know, the higher level you get, you have an army of people that can that can do things for you. Can you go through a little bit about what exactly you do track? You just said you track shot chart. Who Who does that? Right. And and what what do you use that for and when? Our uh, we our staff is pretty much uh, me, our one full time assistant coach, and we have a student manager who's pretty much there all the time. He's at every practice, he's at every game. Um, during practice, we don't really stat anything. We don't have enough bodies or eyes. Our manager's there. He's pretty much running the clock, running practice to make sure we're on time, things like that. Um, during the game, he's the one who, who stats the the, uh, the shot chart. He, shot, he has a shot chart for our team and, you know, 
the opponent. And, you know, we kind of go through that um, probably at halftime to kind of get a look at, like, where are we getting our shots from? Where are they getting their shots from? You know, we're running – we ran a, you know, a certain action numerous times in the first half, and all of a sudden we're looking and the shots are all in this one area of the floor on the right wing or whatever. And, you know, now we're starting to think, you know what, ball's not getting swung side to side, you know, based on the shot chart. Again, like you may, some people may not think that's analytics, but for us, it is. You know, like it's it's thinking analytically about how we can change the way the game is going and how we can increase our probability to win. We need to change the play we're running or the action we're running to make sure we get the ball to the other side of the floor, especially if we know, you know, we're better on the other side of the floor. Or I have guys, you know, throughout the season, you pull up the shot chart and you get to, you know, I show my guys like you're actually shooting, you know, 47% from the left corner. Not so much from the left wing, but we never get the ball to the left corner anymore. Let's try to run something where we can get that ball, you know, to our guy in the left corner. That kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that's pretty in depth. That, I, that actually is uh, for that. That's that to me is a little bit scary in that um, shot charts are great and that they're definitely analytics. I, I just you know uh, to to try and, and and this is kind of what we talked about a little bit. Um, earlier, but communicating it to your players, what's overload and what's not overload for them? Like, clearly as a coach, you can handle it, but can they handle, look, you shoot better from the left, you should get to the left corner more, or or is that something that you think is too much for them? Um, I think I think they can handle it if it's not, you know, it's not something I'm saying to the guys uh, on a daily basis. It's maybe seven or eight games in, we go through our shot chart, we're looking at our numbers and what are we getting, what are we good at? What are we getting, you know, where are we getting our shots or what do we, what do we need to improve on? And I'll look at a few of our guys' shot charts, especially if I have a guy who say he's supposed to be a shooter, you know, and he maybe that first seven games, he's struggling a little bit or his percentages aren't where I thought yeah. they would be. And I look at his shot chart and I notice on the left wing, like, you know, he's either doesn't have enough catch and shoot jumpers on the left wing or, his percentage is low. And then, you know, you kind of pull up some film and you kind of see, like, what's going on with that. And you find out, like, you know what? He gets most of his shots on the left side, but he's actually better in the corner because he, he's got a quicker release in the corner for some reason. You know, and then you talk right. about, hey, you know, this is what I'm seeing on the shot chart. And you kind of pick, you know, it's like it's a conversation. It's not a, you know, hey, so-and-so, you need to shoot more in the left corner. Don't stop shooting in the left wing. It's not like that. It's more, you know, this is what the numbers are saying. Let's look at a few of these clips, and you see, like, your feet are always set here in the left corner. Left wing, you kind of always catch and start to look, you know, you look what the next play is before realizing, like, you know what, I actually should shoot the ball. Now you you kind of get a correlation between the percentages and the spots, you know what I mean? Sure, sure. And, and we do we do something similar. Uh, during games, I'll chart threes, covered or not covered, um, you know, basically challenged or not challenged. And, and at halftime, we always will be like, okay, we got 12 open threes, but we only made two of them. So right. if we make our normal percentage, which is around 43 to 45% of wide open shots, all of a sudden you have six more points or, or seven, you know, six to nine more points. Um, so we, we do something similar to that, uh, which I think is pretty valuable that you can kind of see, kind of gauge like, all right, we're down eight, but we just, we just shot, like I said, maybe two of 12 on wide open shots. Or vice versa, where you might be up eight to ten, and you're shooting the, the the lights out of it, and you're like, all right, well, we we got 
we're not going to shoot eight of 12 the next half. We got to make sure we pick it up in other areas. So, um, right. and we don't really get into that a whole lot with our guys other than like, if you're open, shoot the ball. We know over time you're a good shooter. We trust you, trust yourself. You might be 0 for 4 to start the game, but we know because of stats what you should be because we have it from the last however many seasons you've played or even if it's just your first season, we have the first couple games or, or whatever. But uh, but to me, I think that's pretty valuable stuff, and uh, I think it just all comes down to what you can communicate to your players to help them because that's what it's all about, right? We're trying to help them win games. So right. if they can and, put and that's themselves in the best the position – Yep. Right. Like that's that's all about the process, not the result. Like you're realizing, like you know what, we hit some shots that we did not deserve to hit, or we're getting good shots, they're just not falling right now. Like that's realizing like what needs to change or what doesn't need to change. We just keep doing what we're doing, and eventually the numbers will work in our favor. And you know, as far as communicating that to our our players, like I'm not, you know, you you got to know your players a little bit. Obviously, you have to know, you know, each player is different and all that. You know, I'm not going to grab you know a shooter who I know is you know, a little mentally unstable, you know, with his confidence and grab him right in the middle of the game and be like, hey, you need, you know, you need to do this and that and, and that. Or maybe, maybe during it, the shooting workout, just kind of drop, walk by him and drop a little tidbit on him. Like, hey, you know, you're pretty good in this left corner, but maybe you should spend some more time in that left wing, get to, you know, work on your catch and shoot there. Like, things like that where it's kind of figuring out when you can give that information and when you can't. Sometimes it, there's no information given. Sometimes it's like we know, you know, this player is great in the left corner. Let's run this, you know, the left wing. Let's run this set to get him a shot at the left wing. You know, it's not right. even it has anything, right. nothing to do with the player whatsoever. It's just us between coaches. Like we, I know the percentage. We have, we need a bucket. You know, let's get him a shot where we know he's going to get a good look, or we know he, right. you know, feels comfortable. Right. You know, and and that's uh, I think that goes a little bit back to practice too. Um, you know, just you know, talking about you, you you've been to a couple of our practices now and. I thought you made a pretty interesting point. We do a drill that you guys do the same drill, and you have your team take all threes. Now, that's, right. a, that's a very forward-thinking uh, team because the mid-range shot is not a bad shot when you're wide open, but you, you still have your whole team shoot threes in this drill. C- can you talk a little bit about what you guys do in practice to really make sure that you're, you're doing this and, and, and really getting the shots you want to get? Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about the other day at your practice, like I, you know, part of, you know, so because we don't really throw a lot of numbers at our guys, it's almost like we have to train them to believe in what we want. And the way we train them is what we practice every day, you know. So I don't want guys to shoot mid-range shots if they're, you know, if we believe those are the inefficient shots, you know. And and when I say I don't want guys shooting mid-range shots, I had my starting point guard this year was really good at the mid range, so I never I was never telling him don't shoot mid range shots. You know, like he he shoots it at an exceptionally high percentage for a college basketball player. I'm not stopping a guy from doing that, but there are some guys but you who don't play, know you what know, that number is, right? Because you, you don't have the the stats to track it, or, or do you guys have synergy? Because we have this is an argument synergy. I get in. And do you know what he shoots? Do you know what percentage he shoots? I, I do. I track it a little bit. I don't. I mean, I'm not on top of it every single game, but I know from just you know. And and the thing with stats is like you got to have still be able to have your eye test, right? And you got to be able to 
re- see the game and realize, like, this kid is really a lot more comfortable off the dribble pull-up than he is shooting catch and shoot threes. And, you know, when I'm watching, the kid's scoring 19 a game and he's hitting these shots. You know, it's you, you can't take him out of his comfort zone by telling him not to shoot mid-range pull-ups. Sure. Like in transition the, only reason or whatever, I ask, you know. the only reason I ask that is I, I use this stat often, but, like, clearly there's good mid-range shooters. And I'm always like, well, what do you think you shoot from mid-range? And, you know, it's always like uh, 60, 65%. And then I always come back, and I may be a couple percentage points off, and I'm like, well, who do you think the best mid-range NBA player is? And it's, you know, the Dirks and the Garnett. Right, Dirk North. And they're like 53%. LaMarcus Aldridge, I think, is one of the best. So I'm like, so you're, right. you're as good a shooter as those guys? Probably not. Right. So you're probably somewhere lower than that, even though it feels like, and that's why I ask, because, you know, yeah, so I'm, I'm I, almost to the point where, and, and, and tell me what you think about this. This is, I don't know if I would ever do this, but is there any reason to ever practice mid-range shots? Well, that's my, my next point was going to be about that. And, but, but before I get there, I did look, knowing that we were going to have this conversation, <laughs> I did go on Synergy and pull up my, my starting point guard's stats from mid-range. And he shot 52% from the left elbow, and he shot 51% from the right elbow, and he shot 52% from the top of the key. So that's pretty good. I would say that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good for a college basketball player. Like, you know, kid scored over 1,600 points. He knew where he was getting his shots. And, and, you know, he still shot it really well from three also. I almost wanted him to shoot a little, a few more threes. But, right. you know, as a senior, you kind of, you already know where you're, you know, it's hard to change someone's style of play that, you know, if I had more time with him or something like that, I'd, you know, maybe start to push him towards more threes. Towards like, you know, when I was back in the day working with you and you're trying to tell some of our better shooters that Steven's like, hey, you shoot 45% from three, but really you should actually be shooting less because you need to shoot more threes. You know, like yep. that conversation, yep. you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but, no, yeah, for sure. as far as practice goes, like we don't practice mid-range. And this is something well, I, let me, I – let me, let me take it back to to not even your team. All right, let's say hypothetically speaking, you can go back. Uh, you, Waleed, very good player, very successful player, can go back to when you were 10 years old. And and I said to you, all right, I don't want you ever to shoot a mid-range in practice. Like when you're just shooting around, like when you're going through reps. Right. Is there value to that? I've thought about this often because can you be a good mid-range shooter only shooting threes? It's not like you you would not make the mid-range shot ever if you didn't practice it, if you're shooting, you know, hundreds of reps of, of threes and, you know, within five feet shots every day. Do you think that's something that, that could work? Or, like, are we wasting time even practicing as an individual growing up mid-range shots? I 100% agree with you that it can work. And I've thought about it myself. And, it, and you know, I know you only coached me for one year. Um, but my game was, I mean, not that I knew, you know, like what I was doing, but my game was pretty much analytics. I only shot layups. I went to that, drew a lot of foul shots, and I shot three. I, ba- I barely shot mid-range shots. And my thinking at the time was just as a player, like, if I got by my first guy, why would I stop to shoot, like, a 15-footer when I think I can just get to the rim and, and finish? Yeah, I did run some people over and get some turnovers and some charges and stuff <laughs> like that. But, you know, like my, I, but I used to practice mid-range shots all the time. 
And I, you know, I've thought about it many times. I'm like, you know what, if I had spent more time, even just in college, practicing threes, you know, like I, I wasn't a, a knockdown shooter by any means, but I shot maybe in, you know, 33, 34% from three, like decent, you know, like, and if I had spent more time just working on threes and maybe working on shooting deeper threes and things like that where I knew I could get my shot off, uh, maybe I, you know, would have helped us win a few more games or, you know, whatever, like, and, I kind of use that mentality now when I'm working with our guys. I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think you can make mid-range shots without having to practice a million mid-range shots and one dribble pull-ups and two dribble pull-ups and step-backs and this and that. I, we only use mid-range maybe one or two minutes a day in practice, and it's just to get guys going. At the beginning of practice, we do a couple drills and, you know, shoot some mid-range for 30, 40 seconds, and I say, oh, by the way, it's right back to three, and we're shooting three. Right. And the same thing as that drill that we're talking about, it's, you know, I know all my guys shoot through, you know, layups or threes in that drill. And you're, you know, you're asking me, like, how can you guys score that many points in this two minute drill? It's because all, all the shots are threes and layups. And, you know, I have big guys and like everybody else. You know, my big guys shoot threes. Like, they don't necessarily let them fly in the game, but I, I, the idea is eventually those guys, you know, after a year or two will be comfortable enough to sh- shoot a three in a game and, and be that weapon that we, you know, like now teams have to figure out like, what are we going to do with guys? They all can shoot, you know, like, What's the point of shooting the mid-range? And it's even to the point where, like, like I said, in our, in our skill work and stuff, we don't really shoot a lot of mid-range shots. And, you know, and, and it came to me a couple of years ago when I was at Stevens, and I remember asking a couple of guys, and like, you know, would, you know, especially guys who I knew were shooters, and I'd ask them, like, would you rather in a game ball kids kick you at the three-point line, pump fake, step in and shoot the two, or pump fake, take a small sidestep to the right or the left and shoot the three. And amazingly, all the shooters that I asked are like, I'd rather shoot the sidestep three. And it's because I had been I watched, you know, I, I watch a lot of NBA and I'm watching, and I see guys like J.R. Smith and, and this and that. They never step in for two-point shots. They pump fake, they step to the side of the way, bang, shoot the three. And it's like, it's genius. Like, well, it's the analytics right there. Why shoot the two? Like, just practice shooting the sidestep three. And we started practicing yeah. at Stevens and, you know, event, like it, of course for everybody it's uncomfortable at first. Like guys don't, you know, don't feel comfortable doing it, but if you practice it more and more, next thing you know, we're in a game, guy pump fake, sidesteps to the right, hits the three, and the whole bench is going crazy yelling sidestep. Like, you know, and like, you know, that's the kind of stuff that we're, we're trying to do at our program. We're practicing it and like, we don't practice mid-range shots. You know, it's just like, and that's part of like, you know, instead of stating the numbers of why mid-range shot is, is not the best shot. We just don't practice it to the point where guys just don't shoot the shot. They know, like, they're driving all the way to the rim, or if they can drive and then stop and try to find the next guy who's either going to catch a shoot or drive all the way to the rim to get a layup or a foul or a drop-off pass to a big guy underneath, you know? Yep, yep, yep. And, and I think that, that you kind of mentioned something that I want to kind of get a little bit more uh, detail on your thoughts. So how can you – and you mentioned it a little bit, but how can you now – Flipping the script, now we're on defense. So how do we take away catch and shoots, and how do we force lower percentage shots? How do we not foul? How are you How are you dealing with this as a head coach um, in teaching these things on the defensive side? Like, don't allow, try not to allow catch and shoots. Try not to allow guys driving in and, and picking up fouls to get to the line and get you out of the game. Are, are there things that you can emphasize there that you track or that you can – uh, work on defensively to, to, you know, take advantage of, of, of this? 
Um, well, you can, you know, we, we do a lot. The same way we shape our offense based off of that kind of stuff, we shape our defense. So, you know, when you talk about ball screen defense, like what's the shots we want to take away? We want to take away, you know, kick out threes. We want to take away the roll guy. And, you know, the shot we want to force is that ball handler coming off the screen, maybe shooting a long two with a guy contesting from the side or from behind, something like, you know. So we shape our defense to kind of force those shots. Like, are we great at it every single game? Not really, not not necessarily. But you know, it we just emphasize. Not necessarily anything we track. Um, we obviously show it on film when we do it wrong. You know, like ball screen D, like we tell our guard to go over the top. You know, like even if you get hit with the screen, like don't take the shortcut of going underneath because. If you think about when you work out and when you're working out with one of your guys, what's one of the shots you work on? It's stopping behind. As soon as, like, you're trained. As soon as the guy goes underneath the screen, you stop behind and shoot a three. I want to take that shot away. Like, I don't, I know a guy, I know good guards practice that shot. I'd rather the guard at least shoot a shot that's worth less points, is a little less efficient, and maybe we can contest a little bit better, you know? So, things so like I, that. I think the, the, the two things that come to mind for me when I think about, I right, knowing, what leads to winning and trying to force teams into the opposite. So ball screen D is one. That's one you can control as a coach, I think, because you can, you know, there's only so much you can do, right? Like you were a pretty good defensive player because you had a knack for the game. You rebounded well. Your instincts were really good. You career leader in steals. Um, So like you spotting somebody up or somebody trying to go go at you one-on-one, you're going to be okay. But there's not a whole lot of like a coach can do strategy wise that can help you in that situation besides your team strategy. But the the pick and roll defense, how you do it, to me is one of the major ways to affect analytics. So how do you guys you said your guard goes over, what do you do with your with the with your big on the screen? Uh right now we keep our big pretty much in the paint. Um, you know, you, so you don't, you're you're essentially allowing allowing the guard to turn the corner into traffic a little bit with with uh a, like a guard coming at the big. Right, and we that's, we try to make sure our big is not the first line of defense. So that's the the biggest thing for us is we actually try to use the weak side guard to kind of stunt a little bit to try to make sure that. The guy, ball handlers coming off that screen is not getting a full head of steam right at our big guy, but hopefully getting okay. stopped a little bit by a weak side guard stunning. That way the, the big guy is actually the second or third line of defense. Hopefully our guard who's guarding the ball handler makes it over the screen, can hopefully try to get back in front. Um, and then, if anything, then he's attacking our big guy. And our big guy needs to be active. He can't just be, you know, a stiff standing in the middle of the paint just waiting there. He needs to be stunning. He needs to be in athletic stance you know, ready to guard and move and, and be, you know, agile. Um, so that's how we play so it now. Ideally, that's more based on our personnel. Right, right. So, so ideally, he turns the corner. The there's It's too crowded to hit the roll guy or the, or the pick and pop guy. And he takes a floater or challenge mid-range. That's ideal. Now, right. in in reality, what are you seeing? Like what, like when you're – when you're, you know, staying up late at night trying to figure out how to beat a team, what what, is, what are you seeing that teams beat you with when you guard it like that? Um, I the hardest part of that is is the weak side defense. Um, 
getting that guard to be there on the weak side help and stun on the ball handler is something that we are we we are coaching every single day and it doesn't happen all the time because you know in the game you have your matchup and you know like that weak side guy who's guarding he might be guarding a knockdown shooter and he doesn't want to help off him as much because that quick pass is a catch and shoot shot um you know so things like that getting our guard to trust and know that if he stunts then his teammate will stunt and you know bother that catch and shoot on the kick out um you know but it's also just like guys having trouble getting over the screen or the big guy committing too much it's more usually more about i don't want to you know it's more about our mistakes that hurt us as opposed to what are teams doing that beat us you know like a good player is going to get his shot off you know what i mean like it's it's hard to guard we just want to be able to contest we don't want to give up a layup to the roll guy and we don't want to commit a stupid foul like you know, we just want to force a guy to shoot a shot that we can maybe bother a little bit and not one that we know he's practiced, you know, over and over every single day of the season where he can just stop behind and shoot a three or, you know, get all the way to his, like, two-dribble pull-up at the elbow that everybody practices without anyone right. being able to there to contest, you know? Right, right. And, and for, for us, like, we – I think it's really difficult in pick-and-roll situations to guard the catch-and-shoot. Right, so you have, you're you're pretty much. I don't want to say giving up something, but uh, if you're not perfect, you're going to give up something. So, like uh, in an ideal situation, the guy turns the corner and shoots a floater, a challenge floater. But if he doesn't and he drags a, a defender in on the weak side or even the strong side, you're getting to give up. You're trying to get those on offense, but trying not to give those up on D. And I think it's so challenging to to figure out the best way to protect against that to not give up an advantage and you know that's why i ask because you know we, we struggle with that as a as a team on colgate i think ball screen d you know we pretty much do it every day every day in practice and it's so it's so hard it's still really hard so uh like i said it's one of the things that you can affect uh strategy wise but it doesn't mean it's going to work um so we constantly are looking for ways to confuse the d or confuse the offense to um, to be there to protect against those catch and shoot threes or layups, uh, and and stunting is important, and, and having the feel to know when to stunt and when not to stunt is something we actually practice. Like we try and work on it uh, in practice because I think it's so valuable. Um, but some guys are better at it than others. But like anything, I think the more you practice it, the better you can you can get at it. Um, so th- moving on to one of the other things that you kind of briefly mentioned. Uh, a little while ago is another one of the things I think defensively you can have an effect, and that's what do you do on closeouts? Uh, as far as closeouts, you know, we, we practice closeouts. It's something we practice pretty much every day, um, you know, whether it's for a couple minutes at a time or, or longer stretches. And we close out based on, you know, the, the numbers, you know, like, if you're closing out to a shooter, what's your closeout like? And we have, you know, we have names for our closeouts that I that we stole from other coaches. And then, like I said, a lot of the stuff I do, I've stolen from other people. I'm not, they're not making anything up, you know. And, and you know, we call our our closeout to a knockdown shooter. We call it an Allen for Ray Allen. So we practice our Allen closeout where, you know, our guy, your goal is literally, you know, that guy's an Allen. You're closing out to his body with your high hands, screaming and yelling to make sure he does not have a rhythm catch-and-shoot jumper. You want to make that guy 
catch and put the ball on the floor or catch and shuffle his feet or pump it, you know, something like that where he's not just that shot that that guy's been working on his whole life and can knock it down right. with his eyes closed, you right. know. Um, right. And then, you know, you got your opposite. Um, you know, we call that a, a rondo closeout um, where we know the guy's not going to shoot. So we close out real short. We want him to think about shooting a catch and shoot shot. You know, we're, we're stunning, claw, you know, closing out. And the guy takes a dribble towards you, we back up. You know, we're keeping him in front. We want we don't want to get beat by the drive because we know he's only a driver. Uh, and then our middle closeout, which is basically the standard closeout, we call it Wade. Um, you know, Dwayne Wade, and, and it's it's a guy who we know can shoot, but we know it can also beat us up dribble. So we kind of just got to be smart about our closeout, be able to be close enough to bother him, but be able to be in a decent enough stance to kind of contain that first dribble and not just get you know blown by. Completely. Yeah, I like that. That's that's uh, good good recognition. I'm sure the the uh, players can connect with those with those terms. But so so, give me an example of so like in practice you might do a drill where the whole drill you got to pretend everybody's Curry or do you do it where you're you know if you have a shooter on your team the whole practice you guard him like he is uh, as a Curry as a Curry guy. Or, or do you do it like just, okay, we're going to have four guys, there's going to be four balls, get, get thrown out, you're all closing out like it's Curry. Uh, how do you guys attack that? Uh, at the beginning of the year, it starts out that way. There's, every, you know, it's just a, it's just a basic closeout drill. We're throwing it out, following it, closing out, and you're working on all three closeouts and really just working on the footwork, the positioning, realizing like, you know, like if you're six foot seven, your Allen shouldn't look the same as, you know, my, Five foot nine guys, to, you know, right. like you should still be able to use your length to bother the guy's shot without having to get too close to him. So we work on like the positioning, the footwork a little bit, really kind of coach it in a like a dead ball drill type situation. And then as the season goes on, you start to work on live situations and, and you know, maybe, you know, there's different situations where we'll tell like, you know, we're working on if we're guarding another team's stuff, like we'll point out who's the Allen, who's not. You shouldn't help off this guy. This is where your closeout is. Or, you know, we'll just, you know, play ourselves. You know, like we start playing in a shell drill or whatever, and our best shooter gets two, three looks in a row. Like, you know, I stop the drill, and I'm like, what do you think this guy's going to do? He's a shooter. Like, who's guarding him? How should we guard him? Like, we should know that should be an Allen closeout, or that should be a Rondo. Like, you know, and then guys start to think about it, and, you know, you know it starts to work when the guys start to tell each other or the bench starts to yell it out during the game. Like, oh, he's a Rondo, Rondo. Like, as the guy's about to close, you know, like, then you start to realize that guys are getting it. Uh, and it's, right. just, it's just something you you're just you kind of becomes ingrained in your practice without having to really talk about it. You know, obviously throughout the year you kind of have to go circle back and really reaffirm some things and make sure you're touching base on some things that maybe you haven't talked about in a while just so guys are staying sharp. But after a while, just hopefully it just becomes second nature where we, our guys know that, you know, they should know each other, first of all, from practicing against each other every single day. You should know everybody on your team, what they do, and, and the scouting report on them. And then, you know, we obviously talk about it in our scouting reports as well. For other teams, we talk about, you know, what guys do and how we want to guard them and what their closeouts like. So so you're, once again, coming back to the resources, you don't have a whole lot of uh, people to help you with this. Uh, how much are you using stats and analytics in preparation? Well, we use it a lot. I mean, I, I, you know, I use it a lot just for my own preparation. And then, you know, I, I find out everything I can on every team. Um, 
you know, and, and, and then you kind of start to pick and choose what it is that you want to share with the guys, you know, like some information I can, I can only keep to myself and I'll just use it in, you know, throughout the game or whatever to decide what we want to do, you know, or, or in, in the game situation. But some other information we throw out at our guys, like, you know, if the team plays at a much faster pace than we're normal, like I'll tell guys like, Hey, this team is averaging 84 positions a game. And, you know, first they'll look at you and be like, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, <laughs> we play fast and we, you know, we only average 76. So now guys look at, oh, wow, that's nine more, that's, that's fast. You know, like, so now we're, we're talking about the pace of the game. Then we, we talk about stats, like certain stats I always like to throw out guys is, you know, the percentage of threes that, you know, of their field goal attempts, how many of them are threes? You know, you know, a team's a shooting team when they're shooting 35% and up from, you know, from three, you know, that's the, the number of attempts they're taking from three, things like right, that. Like, right. I, you know, we just throw those stats out at, at our guys, but we don't go into crazy detail in our scouting reports. We just pick out what we think is the most important, you know, if a team's great at, you know, offensive rebounding, you know, we, we let them know like, Hey, they're, they're rebounding their misses at a 38, 39% rate. Like guys, we got to make sure all five of us are boxing out. Like, and, you know, you kind of explain to them, like, you know, we were a bad offensive rebound team. So I tell guys, like, we're rebounding at a 22% rate, 38% rate. This team is legit. That's high level. That's a great number. And then you kind of go from there, you know? And so then you, like, cause, uh, you know, you say that to me and I'm sure the couple of people that are listening to this podcast, and it, that all makes sense. To, but if you threw, like, if you just say that without context to players that have never been introduced to anything advanced, they must look at you like you have like four heads. Like you go, will you go into a little bit more detail on on the the ones that you think are important like that, and and uh, and how can you be sure that they actually know what you're talking about? Well, I can never really actually be sure they know what I'm talking about. That's one thing I can't uh, <laughs> be sure of. Um, but you know, there I don't. What I don't want to do is I never want to overload. So like on my scouting report, I'll never have three or four numbers like that where I have to explain each number. I usually try to have at least just one or two, and I can go into a little bit explanation of what this number means and why this number says this is a good team and they're good at this. Um, you know, like I, when I talk about this is a team that's really unselfish, we have to have multiple efforts on defense. They're assisting on 65% of their baskets. So literally they're creating plays for each other. We can never stand around on defense and watch. It's not one-on-one basketball. They are driving and kicking and creating. Like, you know, and I throw that stat out, and you know, now they understand, and I explain why that right. stat is a right. good stat, that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, yeah, everything I, has a little explanation, but I never go into, like, I'm not writing up equations on the board and, and, and like that. Right, and, and and that's that's part of coaching, too, right, is that you have the knowledge, but you have to pick and choose what is going to be most important for them to get across. Like, I mean, obviously, every time you prepare for a game, you've probably watched a number of, of films and you're showing your team essentially a five to six, maybe five to 10 minute clip of the team. And so, right. you know, especially at, at our level where, you know, we have three assistants and we rotate who scouted is. And, you know, I, I may have a week or 10 days to prepare for one team. So I've watched five, six games. And I have to figure out, okay, what is most important? And those stats you mentioned are, are, I think, some of the things I try and get across without confusion. But, you know, I think the pace is obviously always going to be one of the important ones. That's something we stress, you know, if we're playing a team that's fast, 
look at their numbers in context. And, and, and I try and explain every now and then I'll give a, like kind of a, a lesson, uh, in, in that. And, and I think it, it helps with kids these days in that they want to know why. So I'm a little bit when you play, you're still pretty young, but mo- mainly when I played and before that, your coach says do this, you did it. Now your coach says do this and they want to know why. And I think stats is one way to really help with that is that like, oh, the reason, the reason you were getting back on D is because they play 84 possessions a game. So we want to make sure we're not giving up the transition points that we've seen they're scoring a lot of points in. So like something like that, and then it kind of clicks like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That, that, that makes sense. I'll do that if you, if you want me to get back, <laughs> which is not necessarily how it should be, but I feel that the why is so important with this generation that we spend a lot of time on it. And that's, you know, coming full circle, why statistics can be so important because you can go, you know, a lot of coaches have that gut and their, their intuition, but the numbers kind of back it up to where you can't really argue, you know, one plus one equals two. I, I can't argue that. So to me, the math kind of validates a lot of the intuition that the good coaches have and may not need statistics to back up, but they, they kind of have it, but it helps for the younger generation to, to really validate those, those type things. Um, no, I, I agree so. wholeheartedly with that. And like, you know, I don't, I don't use any crazy statistics. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not as smart as you're trying to make me sound and I don't get all the exact numbers and stuff, but, but I understand like the deeper stats, you know, like your effective field goal percentage and turnover percentage and things like that. And we use it in our strategy on offense and defense, you know, like, if I look at a team and I realize that they foul on 41% of their possessions, like our offensive strategy is going to be like, yeah, let's start running stuff to get to the rim early. You know, we want to get those guys in the bonus early because they know yeah. they have a tendency to really foul, like things like that. You know, and then it's always backed up with film. Like I never just throw stats at guys. Like I'll throw the stat at them, then we'll watch the film. Like you guys see what I'm saying? Like I just showed you clips where they got two, three offensive rebounds in a row, or you you see they foul on this, this type of play, or you know, things like that where. The, the they can see it and then they can have the information backed up and that kind of leads me to a question I want to ask you. What I was thinking is, you know, when you when you're scouting a game, do you look at the stats first or do you watch the film of the team first? Oh, you're putting me on the spot here. Huh? You turning yeah, me that I'm, I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to learn D class, so I got to learn something. You know? Yeah, that's what this is all about. This is what this is all about. So I, I always look at the stats first. So I, I quickly go through and I look at the stats and I circle anything that sticks out. Uh, that's the first thing I do. I, I always do that and I see if there's anything like, oh wow, this guy's a three to one assist to turnover or one to three assist to turnover or wow, he's shooting 45% from three or he shoots only threes. So I kind of have an idea going in where what I'm looking for. But like you said, and I think part of why I love coaching so much and being a math guy is I did play. I know that your instincts have to be quick. And uh, you, you can't always program a team to, to do what you want. So uh, so for me, when I'm, when I'm scouting the other team, I, I want to know all those things. But like we talked about, I, I have to manage the information that I'm giving across. But – uh, I always will look at the stats first, and then I will watch the film and see why uh, and, and try and back it up. And there are times, I'll tell you, like we've gotten in arguments in our office 
about me being like, this guy can't pass. He His assist to turnover is one to two, and he averages 1.1 a game. And then you watch the film, and you see that he's really good at driving and kicking and creating for others. But for some reason, the numbers aren't backing it up completely. Well, you have to find some balance there. And we have gotten into arguments about, like, no, we have to guard him like he's going to pass instead of just completely overhelping because we've watched the film, even though his numbers may dictate something a little bit different. So for sure, uh, I'm doing both, but I do start with the stats uh, at all times. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm a little different. Is I actually try to, I try to make sure I am, I'm always balanced. So there will be some like I just kind of rotate it. Some games I look at the stats first. Some games I refuse to look at the stats, and I just want to watch, you know, a team play and kind of figure out like. You know, just see it and see it and make sure that way I'm kind of keeping my feel of the game there and I'm not losing that and just becoming overly reliant on the stats. Right. So I always, I always, right. that's one thing I always wonder is like, do, you know, or do people always do it the same way or do some people change it? And I, I've kind of been always done it just one or the other, every other game kind of thing to just make sure like, and sometimes you're right. Like sometimes you watch it and you're like, oh man, kid looks like he's a knockdown shooter. Then you look at the percentage, he's shooting 26% from three. And it's like, you know what, I just kind of watch him on a hot streak. Like, the last two games I watched him, he's shooting it great, you know, but the percentage says that he's not, you know, like things like that. Right. But I feel like you got to have a balance, and I, I always just, like, my, the way I do it, I always just go, you know, sometimes stats first, sometimes film first, just to make sure, you know, I don't become overly reliant on one or the other. So it's interesting to hear that you, you go stats first. That's, I wonder how yep. many people are stats first and how many people are film first. It's a great question. We'll have to start uh, quizzing our friends. Uh, yeah, we'll, <laughs> as we'll we run a poll. <laughs> I got another question for you. What? So what you when we're talking advanced stats, like what is the one or two stats that you like always care about or always look at? You know, whether it's after you guys played a game or or you're about to play a team, like the the same stats you always check that maybe some people may not know even really exist. Well, I mean, I don't have any secret sauce stats that that uh that people don't know exist. But for me, I always like to see how many times a guy gets to the line, you know, uh, is he a guy that's drawing fouls? And then I like to see your three-point attempt percentage. So if you're a guy that shoots 70% of your shots being threes, well, I want to run you off the line. I, I want to take my chances with you trying to create. Um, and for the most part, guys – it kind of goes hand in hand. It's very highly correlated, but if you're a guy that shoots mostly threes, you're not getting the line a whole lot. So if I can run you off the line, getting back to your earlier point, when I and, and there's some schools of thought by running you off the line, I'm running past you. I'm running past you. It's like almost to forcing you into thinking you should take that one dribble pull up or you should take that two dribbles into traffic because I know how good a shooter you are. So I always look at the, the threes nowadays to me are, you know, I'll look at percentage and then percentage of attempts. That's like first and foremost. I like to see assist turnovers. I think you get a good feel uh, or you get to know if a guy has a good feel based on that stat. So, you know, obviously bigs are going to be lower, but guards, if you're a guard that has the ball in your hands a lot and you're a one-to-one assist turnover ratio, well, now I know, like, I can overhelp a little bit. And, and the opposite is true of guys that maybe three or four-to-one uh, where guess what? If they drive, I'll be on the bench yelling, don't help, don't help, don't help, because I want to know that, and I think that's a stat that really, if you take a guy and, and say, 
um, they're three to four to one and they're not a, like a major scorer and you try and turn them into a scorer, more times than not, it's going to be tough for them to do that because their game is so predicated on helping others and vice versa. Guys that are scorers, like, all right, you need to help often because he's not making the pass. A guy with less than one assist a game that plays a lot of minutes, you kind of, kind of have to realize, all right, if I'm in the position where I can help or fake and stay, I'm, I'm probably going to help. And that's a lot of information to process, but, uh, there's certain guys that are extreme that you really need to know about as a player, uh, that will really help you become a better defender. So th- those, those two things, threes and assisted turnovers are kind of the, the ones that I, I really think you got to know going into a game. Uh, yeah, I'm big on three-point attempt percentage as well, as far as individual and as a team. Like that's, I think that says a lot about how a team plays, um, you know, and their style and the kind of shots they want to get. You know, obviously I look at ours, you know, and I don't really set goals, but you know, looking at our shot chart, we shot, you know, 42% of our shots came from three, you know, and you know, 43% of our shots were layups, and the other 15% were your random mid yeah. shots that we're trying to eliminate, you know, and, and just like kind of figuring that out from a team, kind of you get a good base on like what a team is trying to do out there. Um, I'm, I'm big on, on, and this isn't necessarily a stat that we can kind of keep, but it's more something I look for after games. Um, assist opportunities, just trying to see like how many potential assists we could have had, you know, because there are games that you kind of get out of the game, you know, the game ends and you're like, oh man, our, our offense was bad today, you know, we we weren't good. And it's like, all right, great, but why weren't we good? Like, did we run our offense and get the shots we want just didn't make them? Or did we play selfishly or did we not shoot, the, you know, we forced things, things like that. So I like to go and watch and kind of track, like, you know, we could have, we had the opportunity for, you know, 24, 25 assists in this game, but we ended with 12. Why did we end with 12? It's because we couldn't make a wide open shot. Or it's because we did not see the open man. Like, that, that's that's a big yeah, one big for difference. me. And it's, and big difference, yeah. yeah. You, know. you might have just missed and, that. Yeah, no, that's, uh, another one I'm interested in, and I, I see the NBA tracks it, is uh, screen assist. You know, like how, how, like how well, how good of a screener a guy is. Like, you know, we run a flat ball screen with, you know, all the time on our team. And, you know, what happens when this guy sets the flat ball screen as opposed to what happens when this guy sets the flat ball screen? Like, are we more successful when this guy's the screener for us or just, you know, like things like that. I like to watch that on film and kind of get, you know, that way I know like end of the game, who's setting the flat ball screen for us or who's going to set that wide yeah. pin down or, you know, like, you know, like that, 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 those that, are things. I wish we had more numbers like that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, for you uh, at, at the Division three level with one assistant and one manager, like, that's a great stat that the NBA tracks and we don't even have the resources, you know, three assistants or four, three assistants and ops and a, three managers and that, that's something that is very valuable but it's just it's it's another thing that if you had an army of people or if somebody started it or if you had sports vu you could do that but you know a lot of advanced statistics which is why i'm glad i got a chance to to really talk to you here is uh the resources you have to be able to to see what you can track and, and uh and obviously it's gonna be different at all levels but i hope some people that may not have the resources that an NBA team or even a Division One team have can use this and kind of uh, generate ideas for themselves of what I can and can't track and what I can and can't emphasize. So, um, so with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna close it up here, Walid. I, I really appreciate you 
coming on and uh obviously I'm sure we'll talk hoops uh forever but um uh once again I want to thank you for coming on and uh and uh, wish you guys the best of luck as you uh continue your head coaching career. Well, thanks a lot D class for having me. Um I appreciate you put, you you make me one of the first ever guests on uh Stat Chat. Uh, always happy to help, always happy to talk hoops. Um, and, you know, like one of our former teammates used to say, you know, we, we think uh, you're probably one of the smartest men in the world. So always, always, always cool to, to, to chat with you. And hopefully we can do it again soon. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> but I agree. It was great to talk, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Later, Willie. Later.